Let us now turn our attention to the Word of God. First John, end of your New Testament. The theme this morning is fellowship. Fellowship, sin, and God's light. Fellowship with God is the most amazing concept that we could ever discuss. You and I get to enjoy fellowship with God. Close, relational, positional fellowship with God. Fellowship is to share the common life. John will show us in his own way what Paul and James and Peter also talked about. The great themes of the New Testament. So I invite you to take your Bibles, if you haven't already, and turn or scroll to 1 John chapter 1. We'll get through as much of this as we can this morning. Um... Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. The righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Remember what we looked at last week, beginning in verse 5. John speaks to us about salvation in many different ways. He does so in a way that is markedly different than, for example, Paul. John will paint a picture for us. He will use contrasting concepts to drive home the truths. Notice how John has begun this letter, this epistle. Remember, John by now is elderly. He's old. Christ has returned to heaven. John is now walking with Christ in the same way that you and I do. He begins by saying, we've seen him, we've heard him, we've touched him, we know him. But that's not our experience. John is now showing us what it means to walk with Christ in fellowship. Notice his progression The gospel, as John presents it, the good news of Jesus Christ, as he explains its ramifications for us, he begins in this chapter, this letter, by telling us that God is light. Light is God's holiness. It is his truth. That's where we begin. That's where we understand the truth of God, is with God himself. It's actually not culture's current philosophies, or ideologies. The beginning point is always God. 
All of scripture begins on that note, does it not? In the beginning, God. And John does the same thing in his gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing has come into being that has come into being. That's how John explains and expands upon Genesis chapter 1. God is light. He will then remind us in this chapter three times over that we're not. That we're sinners. If we say we have no sin, we lie. That's really important. You cannot have fellowship with God without first acknowledging your sin. That's the core of the gospel. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And then he begins to talk about fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship, I am convinced, in John's epistle is multifaceted with various applications. John describes light and darkness, this great contrast. That contrast is borne out all throughout the New Testament. Do you remember our recent series? Why did Christ die? Saints, we have the most glorious answer right in our passage today. So you understand just my thought process, just as a quick aside. At a time when I was largely preaching, it's felt, to this concrete floor. We went through the book of Ephesians. Gospel truth saturated all throughout the book of Ephesians. Who we are in Christ and how we should live as children of light. We went on to the Sermon on the Mount to remind ourselves that we are citizens of heaven. We expanded one little phrase that Jesus said that is one of the hinges of the entire New Testament. I have come to fulfill all the prophets and the law. That's how I'm different. I'll teach that. That'll be my straight edge for sure. But I'll do what you could never ever do. I will do what no prophet before me has ever done. I will fulfill that which the Hebrew scriptures speak to through my active and my passive obedience. Which is ultimately the cross. John speaks to the life of God in people. The life of God in people. What does that look like? How do we experience that on a more full level? John will use different words than Paul does as he paints his picture. If you read, for example, the book of Romans, Paul's letters, you will see him making use of terms like justification, 
Sanctification. Glorification. Three great pillars of the gospel and what grace means. But John doesn't use those words, but he's telling us the same thing. Quick review. Justification, what is that? Justification in the Bible is a legal term. It is a legal status change or a change of status. When we say that we are justified by faith, apart from works, what we are saying is there is a colossal status change that we have before God. Forgiven. That's one of them. But when we say we're justified, we're saying more than we are forgiven. We need to celebrate the truth of the gospel. We are forgiven for sure. But we are declared righteous. We are declared before God. It is as if not only have we never sinned. But we're not sinners. Did you wake up this morning in awe of that? Did you wake up this morning full of joy? Because that is what is true of you as a believer in Christ. The scripture says that when we are justified, we are forgiven. But remember, we talked about what we're saved from and what we're saved to. I am an heir of God, a co-heir with Christ. I am a partaker of the divine nature, Peter tells me. This is what it means to be justified. But remember, justification is a legal status change. Now allow me to illustrate this from my own personal life. This past summer in June, I had the great joy of pulling what I would consider one of the ultimate pastor moves. My parents' backyard, family gathered together to celebrate the union of two wonderful people, Ashley and Adam. I walked Ashley down the aisle. We had a no-name substitute up front, my brother. Um, I'm kidding, of course. We always, sibling rivalry. Um, But then, I had the honor of officiating their wedding. But now, I want you to think for a second. In every wedding that I do, there's a part, and this is a typical thing, there's a part towards the end where I will say something or the, the, the officiant will say something along these lines. By the authority vested in me as a minister of the word of God in the state of Maryland, in this case it was Virginia, I do now pronounce you husband and wife. At that point, the clock is ticking. In most jurisdictions, I have five days to sign that legal document and mail it back to the clerk of the courthouse. 
where it is official in the eyes of the state. So no matter where you put it, whether it's when I declare it as, a, as the officiant, as the pastor, or whether it's when the, 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 you know, the, the um, local jurisdiction says, yep, this is legit. That is a legal status change. They are now married. But let me ask you a question. Think about this. When they are declared husband and wife, is that when they started loving each other? Yeah. Hopefully not, right? They're there because they love one another. You see, justification is a way for us to understand the work of God, how we have legally changed in the eyes of God. But there's something more than that, and that is what we call sanctification. God's life in us through regeneration transforming us from glory to glory. God at work in us, Paul told the Philippians. It is also us learning to keep in step with the Spirit. The beautiful process in which God faithfully takes us and that Sin, I mean, we're still here. We're still on this side of glory. God removing, if you will, that, that sin that's within us, that propensity to do what does not please the Lord. Transforming us. Sometimes it looks like this. Sometimes it looks like this. But God is faithful. Ultimately, God fulfills his intent his purpose, and his promise to glorify me. To conform me fully and forever to the image of Christ. Romans 8, 29. As we read 1 John, we may not see those exact words, but we see the very same concepts. It's remarkable to me As we read scripture, the New Testament, let's say, some things we see through the eyes of Paul with precision and legal acumen, if you will. Sometimes we see John painting this beautiful picture for us. Peter, making up for lost time, telling us the truth about who we are. Let's go back to this very simple phrase that we've seen last week and today. If you say, if we say we have fellowship with God. That is every Christian's claim. That is the fruit of the gospel. Through the good news of Jesus Christ, we have fellowship with God. If your life tells a completely different story without exception, he calls that out. So let's review the concept of sin, which means to miss the mark. Because John talks about sin. It flows from who we are. I take you first to Ephesians 
chapter 2. Familiar territory, I know. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says this, And you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. This is verse 1, by the way. Following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Oh, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, I'm continuing to read here. Uh, Even when we're dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So Paul reminds us of who we were before we came to know Christ. And here's what I want you to see from that passage. We didn't just sin on occasion. As if that was a surprise. Didn't see that coming. No. He says, when you sin, as an unbeliever, when you sin... You are doing that which is perfectly in keeping with your nature, with who you are. It's the natural way of doing things. You see, scripture will always go far below what we talk about on the surface. And Paul says, look, don't don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when unbelievers sin. It is indeed the most natural thing to do. So when John tells us, if I say I'm without sin, you're a liar. Well, this is why. It's the very core of the gospel. How do you become a Christian without an understanding of your sin on some level? Let's go to Romans chapter 3. We're going to switch back to that legal status thing. If you read the book of Romans, it is like a legal thesis. It's very helpful. It's very precise. Paul shows us, beginning in chapters 1 and 2, just the sinfulness of people and how we do things that are wrong and so on and so forth. I've said this before. You can almost hear in the back of your mind the Jewish reader saying, that's right, Paul. Tell those Gentiles just how... Just how messed up they are. And then Paul, the Jew, said, now hang on. Hang on, fam, you're coming with us on this train. And so Paul literally hauls the entirety of the world into the courthouse of God. And declares us to be guilty. This is a wonderfully uplifting passage beginning in verse 9. I will just give you some highlights. I'll just start actually in verse 9. What then, are we Jews any better off? Aren't we God's chosen people? Actually, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Gentiles, are under sin, as it is written. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Well, that's encouraging. Verse 19. 
Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. Well, there's your cultural ideology swept away by one little phrase. Every mouth stopped before God. If you think you are something before God, you do not know who God is, and you certainly don't know who you are. Verse 23. Most of us are familiar with this verse, but the context is helpful. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is the heart of the gospel. Knowing who we are, knowing that sin separates us from God, knowing that we are under the condemnation of sin and judgment. But I turn you to one more verse, and I know I have shown you this before, but it just, I cannot stop highlighting it. It's Colossians chapter 1. The reason why I take you to these other verses. These other passages is I want you to see the synthesis of the New Testament. I want you to see how it all flows together. Verse 13, he, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, right? So there's, remember, John's light and darkness. God has delivered us. If God had to deliver us, that means we had a problem. God has delivered us. From the domain, the realm of darkness. And he has transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The entirety of the gospel is right there. What the gospel does. We were here and now we are here. And so John says, look, if you're claiming you're here, but everything about your life screams here, you might want to revise what you're saying or revisit that. Fellowship with God is the foundation of the gospel. Over time, by God's grace, I will look more and more like Christ, a child of the light. Sanctification, God is changing me, transforming me, rooting out sin in my life. But saints, I do not need to tell you about Colin, and I don't need to tell you about yourself. We're not perfect. We mess up. We sin. We grieve the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we fall into patterns of, of a season in which we're really not walking closely with God at all. So let's merge some thoughts together. When you study the New Testament, in particular, when the scripture talks about the blood of Christ, you'll find it in conjunction and tethered to our justification, being forgiven. We spent a long time this summer addressing the question, why did Christ die? The blood of Jesus 
is the very basis for my fellowship with God. Paul told the Colossians, maybe it's the Philippians, that God has called us into fellowship with his son through the gospel. I am saved by grace through faith in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So how does this bring confidence and comfort to me? The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses me from all unrighteousness. When I sin as a Christian, this is important. When I sin, when I fall short, does my status change before God? Am I now in need of justification again? The answer is no. And the reason being is there's, a, there's something that upholds the entirety of the gospel and my standing with God in that legal sense. And that is Jesus Christ shed his blood for me. And that's where my trust is. That's where my confidence is. In him. And in him alone. When I sin as a Christian, am I kicked back to that domain of darkness? I'm still in the light. But the New Testament over and over and over and over again will implore me to walk as a child of the light. To let my actions and my attitudes match that which is true about me. My status before God never changes. Why? It is the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses me. That's my security. That's my confidence. It is not in my performance. What then? When I confess my sin, God is faithful. And God is just. I do want you to turn one more time to the Old Testament, to Jeremiah chapter 31. If you've been a part of the Bible Church for any amount of time, these will not be new passages to you. There's a wonderful passage, Jeremiah 34, in which, 31, excuse me, in which Jeremiah speaks to the new things that are to come. The new covenant. Verse 31, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. Skip down to verse 34. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and, and each his brother saying, know the Lord, because we're all in Christ if we're in this new covenant. They shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. Now watch this. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Saints, this is what is true of you. Our adversary would have us live in shame and in guilt every day of our life without exception. John will remind us that is not true of you as a believer in Jesus. It is not right for a believer in Christ to live in shame or to live in guilt. It is not necessary. 
Because God is faithful to his covenant, to his promise, that when we stake our claim, when we place our life on the shed blood of Jesus, we are forgiven. We are heirs of God. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that is what John is reminding us of. It is the most natural thing for a Christian to acknowledge our own sin. To confess it. Then that's all that confess means is to acknowledge it. To agree. Oh, but praise the Lord God. God will not forsake the work that he began in me. Until I stand in glory. Conform fully to the image of his son. Jesus Christ. Saints. I hope. You are taking in this wonderful, wonderful gospel truth. One more passage, and that's 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Yet again, a verse that you have seen before. I want you to see how the New Testament authors all say the same thing through their personalities, their writing styles. They will present it in different ways, but it is all one singular truth. Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Anything that pulls you away from that is not of God. Saints, refresh yourself in the truth of the gospel. You are a child of the light. And your performance as you flesh that out is not what determines your status before God. It is God's faithfulness to the promise that he made. Once, verse 10, you were not a people. Now, I'm just going to continue reading. But now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The blood of Christ. Oh, but don't forget verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Any Christian in a moment of lucidity will tell you that this sanctification thing is rough. God is rooting out old habits, old thought patterns, actions, memories from the past. You make it your ambition, verse 12, to keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There is this constant tension as Christians. We don't always get it right. What defines ultimately your fellowship, your good standing with God? It is, as John says, the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son. That is our very foundation. That is the gospel. It is why we're in the light. Live it, as Peter said. Fight for it. Not your status. But all the temptations coming your way, the discouragements. It's not going to be easy. Trust me. 
We know this full well that the enemy, that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. Do not live in shame and guilt. Live in freedom. When you slip, when you fall, when you sin, own up to it. And know that you are still a child of the light. And allow the Lord to cleanse completely and to restore you to a richer, more fuller, more deeper experiential fellowship with him. The blood of Jesus, his son. We'll continue on this theme next week. Let's bow and prepare our hearts for prayer. We've set our hearts and our minds this morning on the very truth of God in the gospel. The life of God in us, the basis of our fellowship with God, that is our good standing with God, is the blood of Jesus. We will not always flesh that out perfectly. Oftentimes we, come, we fall far short. Saints, don't cover your sin, don't hide it, acknowledge it, confess it, and know that Jesus cleanses you. Be determined today to walk in freedom before the Lord. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. If you are not waking up in the morning astounded and rejoicing in this good news, Please, please set your focus on this. It will fill your heart with joy. It will free you. Because what we know to be true is that our adversary, there's an all-out attempt in in a war to detract us, to distract us, to bring us away, to tempt us, to trip us up. And we forget that so often the battleground is mostly in our mind. It's why scripture tells us after 11 chapters of theology in Romans chapter 12, he just begins. He says, look, renew your mind, renew it, have the truth of God saturate your mind so that you know who you are in Christ so that you can see what is right and what is wrong and walk in what is right. Heavenly Father, this morning we give you thanks for the hope of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. It is not a side story. It is the very foundation and the basis of our forgiveness and who we are in Christ. Father, I pray that we will be refreshed and encouraged as we walk with you each and every day. Help us to encourage one another to truly talk and engage with one another with songs and hymns and spiritual songs and remind us that which is true about us in the gospel. Let us walk as children of light.
This is the hour. The world needs to see believers in Christ. Confident in who we are. And walking as children of light. Thank you for the simplicity and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What a relief to discard our vain attempts to please you, to measure up. We pray if there is but one who has never cast themselves fully and completely on the mercy of God, believing that Jesus died for them and rose again. Pray that today will be the day of their salvation. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.